We're excited to have Dr. Tim Brown with us. And before he brings the word this morning, what we do here is we, for the reading of Scripture, for the reading of God's Word, we stand and face the middle of the room. Today's passage is 2 Timothy 2, 1-7, and Dr. Ryan Melvin will be reading the passage. So uh, if you're able, please stand. Uh, scripture is central to who we are as a worshiping community. And I pray that it's central to who, how you live your life and why you live your life in Christ as well. So, Ryan, when you're ready, 2 Timothy 2, 1-7. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will be, also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier in Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Thanks so much, Ryan. You can have a seat. It's, it's a real honor and privilege to have Tim Brown with us today. Tim and I go back a long ways. We won't give you the, the length of time, but it goes back a ways. And uh, it's always a treat, Tim, to have you share the word. So we're excited to have you here. Let's welcome Tim, shall we? Dr. Brown. Thank you. The Lord be with you, TFRC. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm honestly so eager to be here, eager to return. It's one thing to be invited to a place to preach. It's a quite different thing to be invited back. So thank you very much. I do love Brian Vriesman. I hold him in the highest possible regard. You, I'm sure you know this. He is a tall timber in the forest of pastoral life in the Reformed Church in America, and I'm just grateful for him. And he is my boss. He's on the board of trustees. They could, they could actually fire me next week if they wanted to. And John Austin, what a great kid he is. John, John is exhibit B of what we do at Western Theological Seminary. Ask him sometime uh, to tell you about the impact of Dr. Todd Billings on his intellectual formation and life and to give you the backstory of that great young professor. The Lord has blessed us incredibly and we're gonna bless the church with what we've been blessed with. Now, I am so eager to preach. Before I do that, I want to read just a little excerpt from a book by Eugene Peterson. I don't know if you know that name, but he is the author of The Message. Do you know this? Anyway, he's been a, a mentor of mine uh, for 25 years. Listen to this. Christians feed on scripture. Holy Scripture nourishes the holy community as food nurtures the human body. Christians don't simply learn or study or use Scripture, we assimilate it. We take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions into all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name, hands raised in adoration of the Father, feet washed in company with the sun. I love this line, Christians feed on scripture. I have devoured a very large story from the Old Testament and it's pulsing inside of me and I gotta let it out and I'm gonna let it out on you. The story needs a lens or a filter and it was read for you just a moment ago. 
what you have received and heard from me through many witnesses entrust to faithful people who will entrust it to others also. When you see it like that, can't you just picture the Christian life, a relay race? We receive something from faithful people, we hold it as best we can, and we pass it on to the next generation. I want to tell you a story in the scriptures that is in many ways odd, very moving, and keenly challenging, and it pictures the moment, the very moment, where the baton is passed from one to another. You be on the lookout for how it's passed, and we'll talk about it in a moment. Now, listen with me to these words from the book that we love. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. Elisha said to Elijah, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on together. Now the company of prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you not know that today the Lord will take your master from you? Elisha said, yes, I know, be silent. Then Elijah and Elisha continued on to Jericho. Now the company of prophets who were at Jericho came out to Elisha and said to him, do you not know that today the Lord will take your master from you? Elisha said to them, yes, I know, keep silent. Then Elisha, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has sent me as far as the Jordan. Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went to the Jordan. Now the company of prophets who were at Jericho followed behind at a distance. When they came to the Jordan, Elijah removed his mantle rolled it up and struck the water, and the water parted from one side to the other, and Elijah and Elisha passed over on dry ground. On the other side, they were walking and talking, and Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what would you have me do for you before I am taken from you? Elisha said, please, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elisha, Elijah said to Elisha, you have asked for a difficult thing. Nevertheless, if you can see me taken from you, it will be done for you. If you cannot, it will not. So as they were walking and talking, suddenly chariots of fire and horsemen of fire separated Elijah and Elisha, and Elijah ascended into the heavens in a whirlwind. Elisha kept looking and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. When he could see him no more, he stooped down and picked up Elijah's mantle. He went back to the Jordan. He rolled up the mantle and he cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Israel? 
and he struck the water and it parted from one side to the other and Elisha crossed over on dry ground. Now when the company of prophets who had followed them from Jericho saw this, they came to Elisha and they said to him, send us to look for Elijah. Who knows? Maybe the Lord has dropped him on a high mountain or in a deep valley. Elisha said, no, don't go. But when they urged him, he became ashamed. And he said, go. So 50 men of the company of prophets of Jericho searched for three days, and they could not find Elijah. They returned to Elisha, who remained in Jericho, and they said to him, we could not find him. Elijah said to them, did I not tell you don't go? Just then, some people from the city came to Elisha, and they said to him, look, the location of our city is good, but the water is foul, and the land is unproductive. Elisha said to them, bring me a new bowl with salt in it. Elisha went to the well of the city and threw the salt into the water, and he said, Thus says the Lord, never again will the waters of this city bring forth death or miscarriage. And the waters of Jericho have been sweet to this day on account of the word of Elisha. Then Elisha returned to Bethel. As he was on his way, small boys came out of the undergrowth and said to him, go away, bald head, go away, bald head. Elisha turned and cursed the boys in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 boys. And Elisha went on his way to Mount Carmel. This is the word of the Lord. Now, is that some kind of story or what? I find this story odd and moving and deeply challenging. Let me just take a few minutes to tell you why I think that. It's odd. I mean, honestly, what's up with the she-bears and the 42 boys? I mean, two bears came out and mauled to death 42 boys. Are we okay with this? Well... We, we actually have some options to get around it if we want to exercise them. You realize that Bible reading in the United States has reached the lowest point in history, which is to say, if we don't tell anybody out there that that's in the Bible, they'll never read it. But that doesn't seem like a very good thing to do. The other thing is, is we, could do, we could do some uh, exegetical mumbo-jumbo and kind of make it all go away, but that isn't right either. It's right there in the Bible, and all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. There is something profitable in this story for you and me, and this is what I think it is. It's a dangerous thing to trifle with a holy God. Do you know I don't believe for a second that Elisha was congenitally bald. I think he was shaven. He had shaved his head. Why? 
in the tradition of the ancient Jews, the entire process of grieving after the loss of a loved one was called Avelu. Avelu was subdivided into three sections. The first three days of Avelu was called Anenu. The second seven days of Avelu was called Shiva. Perhaps you've heard of sitting Shiva, mourning with those who have lost. Anenu, in the period of Anenu, those three days, the bereaved are completely freed from the law and their only responsibility is to wail before the living God, to let their grief come pouring out of them like a mighty river. And in that time period, the men are required to shave their heads and to cover themselves with sackcloth and ashes. That's what Elisha had done. He had lost his beloved Elisha, and he had shaved his head. And when the boys came out and said, go away, bald head, go away, bald head, they were rejecting the God of Israel. Elijah, his name is a compound word in Hebrew, El, meaning God, Yah, meaning the one in relationship with us. Elisha's name means El, God, Ish, man the man God, the God who has come to us in Christ Jesus. They were rejecting the God of Israel and the God of the universe. And there are consequences to pay. There's a scripture that we hardly ever say again in the church that goes like this. He who hardens his heart, being often reproved, will one day be cut off, and that without, without remedy. Even the, our beloved Jesus once said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. There is a risk here involved. When the word of the Lord is sounded, you either step toward it and embrace the one who inspired the word or you are rejected because of it. I got to stop with this part, but it's, it's an odd and sad story. But it says to you and me, you are consequential. Your voice, your word, your actions in the church and in the community have an eternal consequence hanging in the balance. That's all I'm going to say about that. That's the odd part of the story. Here's the moving part of the story. How many times did you hear this? Elijah says to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. Stay here. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. Stay here. The Lord has sent me to jo the Jordan. And each time Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. I will go with you wherever you go. This is the picture of discipleship. Elisha, Elijah was pouring his life into Elijah, Elisha, and Elisha couldn't live without him. He wanted everything that he had. And then Elisha, Elijah says to Elisha, what would you have me do for you before I depart from you? He said, please, a double portion of your spirit. Elijah said, wow, you're ambitious. And it's a difficult thing, but if you can see me go, I'll give it to you. If you can't, you won't. He wanted the double portion of his spirit because he loved him and he was going to succeed him. What you have received from others, entrust to faithful people who will give to others also. 
That is what happens in the Christian life. We give in order that others might receive. You know, um, it's been kind of a tough year for me on a lot of levels, uh, partly because it is the 20th, 25th anniversary of the loss of my mother and the 20th year of the loss of my father. I love them both deeply. And I, I can hardly believe I can be this old and that far apart from their death and still feel it so deeply. Partly because my parents were wonderful people, but they weren't believers. And when I became a Christian while in college, I made it my passion, my desire to pray my parents and my five siblings into glory. All, all of my brothers and sisters uh, became believers. They all moved to the South and they became Southern Baptists and then they began to pray for me. It just works that way with the Southern Baptists. But my, my mom and my dad remained resolute. My mother had some deep wounds in her heart that kept her from the Lord. And my father, he, my father was a bricklayer. He was muscled and chiseled and handsome. My dad looked more like Marlon Brando than Marlon Brando looks like Marlon Brando. He was handsome and I adored him. And, and like so many other World War II dads, you know, trying to build a business, he didn't have a lot of time for his kids. It didn't make me love him less, it just made me hurt more. In 1997, I got a call from my sister saying something's wrong with dad, you gotta go home and check on him. Well, something was wrong with him, all right. He thought he had a chest cold all summer long. It was really lung cancer that had already spun off and gone to his brain. Diagnosed on August 30, he was gone on September 30. I did everything I could to see him as often as I could, trying to fill up those hungry places in my soul. I want you to come with me to Battle Creek, Michigan. It's about 80 miles southeast of Holland uh, for my last, my last visit with my dad. Marlon Brando, remember? I walked into his bedroom and he was in a wrestling match with his sheets and he was losing. He wasn't muscular and handsome any longer. He, had, he looked more like a baby bird in a, in a basket than a man. He, he was trying to get up, and I said to him, Dad, do you, do you want to sit up? He said, yeah, yeah. So I, I reached down and gently pulled his arms up to the side of the bed, and he sat down, but he was so weak, he couldn't hold himself up. So I got down on my knees and put one hand on this shoulder, the other on that shoulder, and I propped him up, but his neck was so weak, he couldn't hold his head up. So I put my forehead under his forehead, and propped it up, and there we were, just inches from one another. It, it was actually a beautiful moment. He started to shake and tremble, he was so weak. I said, Dad, do, do you want me lay you back down? He said to me, no, I love it here. He loved it there. Stay here, I'm going as far as Bethel. No, no, 
I will not leave you. I will not leave you. The Christian faith gets passed from one generation to the next with deep love and affection for those who need it so much. Stay here. I will not leave you. I find that to be so moving. So pour your life into someone. Offer all that you have. One of the great blessings of my life is being a seminary professor, and I get to pour everything I have into young men and women and then watch them grow and expand and become who they are, like John Austin. We loved him. We gave him our best. And again, ask him about Todd Billings, will you? This is the part that I find moving. So my, my, my call to you is don't hold back. Pour yourself into someone. In the name of Jesus, pour yourself. And then, so that's the part that I find moving, but here's the part that I find so challenging. The people of Jericho come out to Elisha and they say to them, look, our location is beautiful. But the water is foul and the land is unproductive. Now, you know enough from your pastor about ancient Israel and what an agrarian world it was. If the water is bad and the land is unproductive, you are dead in the water. This was a critical crisis. They came to him and said, help us. And Elisha said, give me a new bowl with salt in it. I don't get that part, but it's important. He went to the well, he threw the salt into the well, and he cried out, Thus says the Lord, never again will this water bring forth death or miscarriage, and the water in Jericho has been sweet to this day on account of the word of Elisha. Now, that is a conundrum. Elijah, Elisha calls out, Thus says the Lord. And the writer of the biblical text says, the water is sweet to this day because of the word of Elisha. Which is it? The word of the Lord or the word of Elisha? The answer is both. It's both the word of the Lord and the word of Elisha because the word of the Lord has become the word of Elisha. God invests in us so that we can speak on his behalf. And when we speak in the name of Jesus, we are speaking the word of God. The word of God, the word of Elisha. Uh, anybody here remember uh, the poetry of Walt Whitman? I like this one. Oh me, oh life, of the cities filled with the foolish, of the endless trains of the faithless, what good amid these, oh me, oh life? The answer, you are here, that life exists, an identity, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. Think of it, you may contribute a verse, you. You, you may contribute a verse. And if I may quote Dr. Seuss, there's never been anyone youier than you. For whatever unbelievable reason, God has condescended to umbilicate himself to us so that what he would do in the world, he does it through us. Think of it. That's who you are. You are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through you. If you don't speak the name of Jesus to someone, who will? If not here, then where? If not now, then when? It's us 
who are called by God to do his bidding in the world. I'm getting fired up right now. I, I Buckle your seatbelts. We're not done. Now, I, I, I do have to wrap this up. You know, I've been teaching at the seminary now. I'm in my 23rd year. Um, and for the 15 years before that, I was a pastor of a church in that same town. It's a college town, Hope College. In my days as a pastor, we had hundreds and hundreds of college students worshiping with us every Sunday. I came to the seminary and about five years into my run there as a professor of preaching, the college bought half of my time from the seminary so that I could be the dean of the chapel. Now, when you're the dean of the chapel at Hope College, you stand up every Sunday night in front of 1,200 college kids, and you just pour your heart into them. I want you to come with me to the chapel, uh, now not for a worship service, but for a wedding. When you work around college kids like I have for so many years, you perform a lot of weddings. I mean, I'm telling you, I have done more weddings than any minister you know and any chaplain in Las Vegas. I do weddings. <laughs> so come with me to Holland, Michigan. We're gonna, be, we're gonna start in my office at the seminary. I'm putting on my clerical best. I look good this day. A long flowing blue gown with a golden cross around my neck. My hair was beautifully coiffed. I was looking good. I walked across the, the college campus through the pine grove, and I swear the, the pine trees were whispering my name. I looked that good. Anyway, I walk up the stairs into the Dimnit Chapel, and I'm met by the flower girl, who is absolutely enraptured with my beauty. <laughs> she takes one look at me, her eyes fix and dilate like this, and she wheels on her heels and runs to find her mother saying, Mom, God's here. This was a good moment for me. <laughs> Brian and John will attest, as a minister, you don't get that kind of respect anymore. Her mother, however, corrects her theological error. And I know this because just about as, as we were about to make our final descent into matrimonial bliss, she caught me. She grabbed my robe, her shoulder was up, she had copped an attitude, and she looked at me and said, you're not God, you're just the preacher. <laughs> I think she's wrong. I mean, I get the part about not being God, but I am, am I not, a child of God, a follower of the one true God, Jesus. And you check me if I'm wrong, you are too. And as followers of the living God, walking in the light of the Son of God, it is our responsibility to tell the world about the God who loved them and gave himself for them. It's you, it's me, it's all of us together proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ until he comes again. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus Christ, there's no one quite like you. You sit enthroned above. You look far down upon us. We pray, Lord, that you will stoop again as you have stooped to us in Jesus. Raise us up from the miry bog. Embolden us by your Holy Spirit. Make us witnesses to you in Twin Falls 
in this great valley and all over the world. To that end, we say, come Lord Jesus. Amen.